The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, all the top stories from Europe. Dortmund Bayern. Napoli flying. Neymar out. Ramos in. World Cup playoffs. The team that fielded two keepers but still lost 7-0. And much, much more. All coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Okay, Thursday the 30th of November and here with your continental content, of course, is our quality quartet of Alvaro Romeo, Rafael Honigstein, Julian Laurence and James Horncastle. Hello, boys. Hello, Hello everyone. Woo. Hello. Hi. It's been a fabulous weekend. Just stories galore across this great continental game. Often at the start, we begin with a moment of the weekend. I'm not sure if it's even worth doing this time because there's clearly one moment of the weekend and it came in the Copa Libertadores, no? <laughs> Deverson. Deverson. Or Diverson. Yeah. Diverson, eh? Mm. What a game. What a game. Palmeiras winning the South American Championship for the second year in a row. He scores the winning goal. And then for anyone who didn't see it, referee gives him a little pat on the back. And he goes down in classic fashion as if he's been ruthlessly scythed, as if Pepe, for example, had gone in two-footed on him. Anyway, terrific Or David Luiz, in this case. Oh, indeed. Nice, yeah. Anyway, congrats to him and everybody concerned. Uh, but uh, you know what? Let's have a round of your actual moments of the weekend in association with Paddy Power. Who wants to kick us off this week, then? Go on, Alvaro. Of course, Vinicius. Has to be the man again. He's winning so many games for Real Madrid, and this time he scored the winning goal against Sevilla. Uh, pretty much when the game was uh, coming to an end with a beautiful chest control, and he banked the ball into the net uh, in a very Mohamed Salah-style goal. So Vinicius is still scoring. He gave a win for Real Madrid, and they are topping the table thanks to the Brazilian. Mm, four points clear now. Why do you call it a Mo Salah-esque goal? Uh, it reminds me of a goal he scored against the Spurs a couple of seasons ago. Uh, he just controls the ball in the next to the sideline or byline. He uh, makes sure that he he puts the ball in his right foot, and from there he uh, fires it into the top corner. And I think that Mohamed Salah is scoring many like this. Uh, there are some other players who score it in a more subtle way, maybe. But Vinicius, Mohamed Salah tend to yes whack it and this is what Vinicius did it very nice goal very nice indeed alright Jules how about you has to be Neymar's injury James they suffered at Saint-Etienne in quite an unfortunate manner uh, sort of twisting his ankle on the foot of a Saint-Etienne player who, who went to tackle him mm. and PSG have just announced that he'd be up between 6 and 8 weeks uh, I think it's more 8 than 6 to be fair so he'll be back at the beginning of February Hopefully in time for the Champions League like 16 first leg. I thought you were say hopefully in time for his sister's birthday. Well, ah, I knew then, that was coming. Happy uh, That's happy in birthday. March, I believe, no? Is so, it? Okay. I don't know. His All is right. in February. I'm, I'm never invited to hers. I'm invited to his. That's February. So hopefully the party will still happen. Okay. Let's hope so, Jules. 
Uh, the party very much continuing for Paris Saint-Germain, who, despite that injury, picked up a 3-1 win. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, Rafa? Yes, I think, James. I mean, there were very good moments uh, in the Bundesliga on and off the pitch, but I think the main one was Erling Haaland scoring a goal. He's back. He's back and he scored the goal that really put the three points for Dortmund without doubt, uh, beyond doubt. 3-1, they won it. Wolfsburg with him as a substitute, adding the third one. And his 50th goal, James, in 50 Bundesliga games. No one's ever scored as many goals so quickly. Incredible. And lovely to see him receiving the applause of the fans there <laughs> at Wolfsburg. Yeah. I, not sure applause is the right word. Right. I mean, I sometimes do get my hand gestures mixed up, as you know. Right. But uh, I'm not sure that was really a sign of approval. The the gesture of the umbrella, as they call it in Italy. And up yours, a classic up yours, perfectly captured by some expert panning uh, from the cameraman. So terrific. All right. More on Dortmund very shortly. But James Horncastle, your moment of the weekend. Well, do you want to talk about accounting or Maradona? Well, they're both entertaining Counting topics. Counting is much sexier. <laughs> <laughs> both involve swollen figures in this yes. case. <laughs> well, look, let's talk about Maradona at yep. the uh, right. Stadio Diego Armando Maradona because uh, his statue was unveiled there. And uh, one of the better football statues, I think we agreed on Golazzo Live on, on BT because uh, it's a... Nice depiction of Diego, and one of his uh, his left foot is is gold. Um, he stood on on the number ten, but uh, you know a very rousing performance uh, mm. from Napoli. Uh, Estata la mano di Dries uh, was hmm. the uh, headline in La Repubblica. It was the hand of Dries uh, who ultimately directed where this game went. A scintillating mm. performance from Napoli. A couple of goals from Mertens, who was standing in for Simon. and Napoli really kind of bouncing back after a couple of defeats. Uh, over the last week uh, and reminding everyone why uh, they're league leaders and potential title contenders. Incredible. All right, that's where we're going to start this week, down at the Diego Armando Maradona. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, be gambler aware. Dot org. Si avvicina al limite. Fabio Ruiz allarga verso il fronte opposto. C'è Lozano. C'è la conclusione. Meravigliosa di Dries Mertens. Il 3-0 del Napoli. Un gol pazzesco del 14. Yeah, special night in Naples on Sunday. The club commemorating... The anniversary of the passing of uh, Diego Armando Maradona uh, this week. And as you mentioned, James, a statue commissioned, which will be positioned outside the ground, but was basically by the players' tunnels, welcoming the two teams as they came out uh, for this game. There was a lot of pre-game commemoration of uh, Maradona, who, of course, uh, among the many achievements that he had, was he actually brought the title uh, to Naples uh, twice. Uh, Napoli now bidding to win their first Italian championship since those days. But as you mentioned, it looked like being maybe the week where their charge began to lose momentum. They'd suffered their first defeat the week before. In the course of that loss last week, they'd also lost their number one goal man, Victor Ozimen, for three months with effectively a broken face. They'd then gone and lost at Spartak Moscow in the Europa League. And now we're facing Lazio, 
under the tutelage of their former manager, Maurizio Sarri. But oh my word, having come out under the gaze of the of this Maradona statue, Napoli were just insane. It was their best best half since when? <laughs> since Sarri, I think a lot of people were saying. Um, I mean, it was like they'd been touched by the hand of God. I mean, for the first uh, half an hour, um, they played some mesmerising one-touch football. Um, and, you know, we were asking ourselves, well, what could Lazio have done? Um, and I don't think there is any more than they could have done, really. Um, they were powerless. I think Napoli were that good. And, you know, it was a, a statement, really, um, because Inter have really come back into the title race over the last few weeks. They went into this game only a point ahead of the champions, did Napoli. And without, as you mentioned, Osimhen, who's had this metal plate put into his cheek, a lot of screws as well to hold it together, um, with Andre Zamboanguisa, you know, one of the best signings of, of, of the summer transfer window uh, from Fulham also out. So a bit of a kind of amuse-bouche, uh, if you like, um, ahead of the African Cup of Nations. Um, there was a, a sour taste expected. And instead, it was very, very sweet because uh, mm. Napoli um, played Lazio off the park and looked like, um, you know, at least still being in contention to be winter champions, still being in contention to stay ahead of Inter and, and maybe uh, last the distance. But uh, let's see. Mm. Two of the goals from Dries Mertens, Mertens Donner, as, as I like to call him, uh, who, of course, had been it's converted. It's got a real ring to it. It does, doesn't it? Um, but this is where it, you heard it first. So uh, he was actually converted, of course, famously into a striker by the man he was facing, the man whose team he was putting goals past on this occasion, Maurizio Sarri. <laughs> the irony. Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things to look forward to about this game was that you had two players with 300 goals exactly between them in uh, Dries Chiro Mertens. Uh, as he's known in, in Naples, because he's been adopted by Neapolitans. And uh, Ciro Immobile, um, who you know is from uh, just uh, outside of Naples, um, but has never played for Napoli. Um, and ultimately, it was Mertens who stole, stole the show with uh, a vintage performance. Um, it's incredible to think that he's become uh, Napoli's all-time top scorer, really scoring goals since he was 28 at a prolific rate um, mm. because, you know, he was a, a, a winger who for the first couple of seasons uh, that he spent at Napoli was, was was an option off the bench for Lorenzo Insigne and, you know, has, has gone on to replace Gonzalo Higuain and had, I think, one of the telling things about his celebration or one of his two celebrations was he pointed to the ground beneath him and said, uh, Qua, Qua, I'm staying here. I'm staying here because with Osimhen... Mm. Uh, really being anointed as the successor to Lukaku, as 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 the, the maybe the face of the league, and the best striker in the league, along with with Dusan Vlajevic, um, Mertens has been marginalised a little, um, and I think this was a reminder of, of just how good he is, and uh, how much attacking talent that Napoli have to go to, and they'll need to go to it when when Osimhen is obviously out injured and obviously when he goes out for the African Cup of Nations too. All right, absolutely. Well, a huge week coming up for Napoli. Uh, they are now three points clear of Milan, who lost to Sassuolo. Uh, midweek, though, it's Napoli who take on Sassuolo, who, as I say, beat Milan, but also recently drew with Cagliari. so who knows what that's going to uh, offer. Then Napoli take on Atalanta, who've just beaten Juventus, which, to be fair, a lot of people do these days, but Atalanta hadn't done it in Turin since 1989. Chance there for Atalanta if they beat 
Napoli to really bring the title race uh, to a, a, a very interesting uh, position. It would potentially be four teams in four points. And then on top of all of that, actually, the following week, they host uh, Leicester in a, an absolutely crucial Europa League uh, match. Uh, crucial times this then for uh, Spalletti's side. It's why Jules has come wearing a, a Napoli sweatshirt. Oh, he today. has as well. Look at that. He's yeah. got a vintage 1987 powder yeah. baby blue. Well, looking Beautiful. very fetching in it as well. It's very nice. Okay, then. Well, anyway, there is a midweek round of games. Uh, other delights in the next couple of uh, evenings include Inter, who beat Venezia uh, to go a point behind Milan, uh, facing Spezia, uh, who are coached, of course, for the moment by their their old treble-winning midfielder, Thiago Motta. You've got Fiorentina Samp, Dusan Vlajevic looking to score still more goals. You've also got Genoa-Milan, which will see Andrei Shevchenko up against the club where he became Ballon d'Or, crikey. And Salernitana Juventus. We'll talk more about Juventus a little bit later on because next up, let's get the latest on that tremendously tight Spanish title race. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. La Liga listener looking tremendously tight last weekend. You had three teams, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad and Sevilla, separated by just one point. No longer though, Alvaro, no longer. After Real Sociedad lost to Espanyol and Real Madrid themselves beat Sevilla. Woo, you were mentioning Vinicius back at the start. Is he this year's most improved player? Yeah, without any doubt. I mean, he he has been unbelievable this year, this season in La Liga. And... Uh, Last season, he was capable of uh, unbalancing any game with his pace and his power and his skill. This season, he can unbalance the scoreline as well. This is the main difference between Vinicius last year and this year. So, yeah, he's been the most improved player. And, uh, you know, the, the one to look out to the point that uh, yesterday two or three Sevilla players were always trying to mark him, which, mean, uh, which meant that uh, some of the Real Madrid players had a lot of space when it came to counter-attacking. Mm. To be fair, mostly last season, uh, Vinicius was unbalancing Benzema, no? The, the, the famous scene in the Champions League at halftime when Benzema yeah. was complaining and telling teammates, don't pass to him, he's not playing for us. Yeah, especially he was telling uh, Ferland Mendy about that. But yeah, I think that every player has some room for improvement. Uh, this is a, quite a, a well-known story, but Cristiano Ronaldo in his first couple of seasons for Manchester United, he wasn't a good scorer either. And look at the beast he has become. I'm not saying that Vinicius is going to become that player, but mm. uh, he's got that pose in, in the box that uh, it's so beneficial for a player. Carlo Ancelotti was telling him, you have to touch the ball a little bit less and make, uh, make sure that uh, you, know, you score or you shoot as soon as you get the ball, because normally the, the best scorers, they don't touch the ball a lot 
prior to scoring. So I think he's following that uh, advice very well. And, uh, you know, if you've got Benzema playing alongside you, then it's easier as well because he's going to play every one-two. He's going to have a great link-up game with you. As I said before, Vinicius, he's been sensational this season. He's not only a joy to watch, but he's also winning games for Real Madrid. And the goal he scored against Sevilla you know, resembled uh, a goal from Mohamed Salah as well. But the goal also shows that he is very good uh, controlling the ball with his chest and uh, dribbling like that. He did it against Liverpool, if you remember, in the Champions League, controlling the ball with his chest and firing it into the net. And he did it uh, on Sunday as well. Really, a really, really good player for Real Madrid. And uh, probably Eden Hazard uh, is not going to play a lot if Vinicius is in this form because Carlo Ancelotti thinks that Vinicius has to play on the left. Incredible. So they've got Hazard sitting around there somewhere in a cupboard and also Gareth Bale still, probably in a box in the attic. Remarkable, remarkable. Sevilla had actually taken the lead in this game in the 12th minute through a header from Rafa Mir, but the home side had levelled it within 20 minutes after Karim Benzema. Karim the dream. Thank you. Uh, Not the ball in uh, after uh, Militao's uh, effort had, had, had bounced back off the post. Crikey. Karim Benzema, that's his 361st club goal of his career, which makes him Jules. The highest goal scorer in French football history at club level. Exactly so. The highest scoring French player in the history of club football, overtaking Thierry Henry. Woof. I... Jules can say more about this, but uh, I, number one, I didn't see that coming, uh, especially a number of seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Number two, I was checking the stats. The thing is that uh, since he turned 30 onwards, Thierry Henry never had a season of 30 plus goals. And Karim Benzema, since he turned 30, he has scored at least 30 or more goals in two seasons. So this means that uh, as he got older, he got wiser as well. And mm-hmm. obviously, Thierry Henry is not that he didn't get any wiser, but uh, at the same time, Maybe sports science, maybe the way Karim Benzema treats his body, he looks after himself, is making him a very, very good striker at this stage of his career. Mm. It's the second record that he's picked up in the space of the last seven days, actually. (laughs) He's appealed to it, so you don't know that that first record might disappear. Real Madrid have picked up their sixth straight victory in all competitions. They are now four points clear. Because as I mentioned, uh, Real Sociedad got beaten at Espanyol. It's now Atletico Madrid who moved up to second place. They beat Cadiz 4-1. Crikey, look at this, Alvaro. They absolutely tore through the Andalusians. Where's that been all season, Atleti? Well, they have done it every now and then this season, but I believe that when it comes to regularity, I mean, there is a club like Real Madrid uh, who are showing regularity every week, and then the rest of the clubs. Even Atletico de Madrid, I will put them in the wagon of teams like Sevilla or... Real Sociedad at this moment because you can see in the Champions League that they are not capable of doing the job. Uh, Again with Real Madrid, they've got the best goalkeeper right now in La Liga, they've got the best striker, they've got the best midfielders and then they've got Camavinga and uh, Valverde on the bench. So, you know, they've got the backbone there and Mm. Atletico de Madrid don't. Defensively, they are uh, shaky. I believe that it's a problem of individuals as well. Jimenez, Savic, uh, they are not as good as uh, the very famous pair of Godin and Miranda or Godin and Lucas Hernandez who left to Bayern and probably he was the best defender Atletico had for the future. Uh, But yeah, uh, when Atletico de Madrid unchanged 
the beast as well. They are capable mm -hmm. of scoring goals. Uh, they've got different profiles. And this is something that I'm missing at Sevilla, for example. Players who can play in the box, like Suarez. Players who can link up, like Griezmann. Players who can run, like Llorente, like Correa. Uh, Joe Felix, the one who does the magic. So I think that Atletico has very good individuals in the front, but then at the back, they don't have so many good individuals. This is a total difference from the 2014-2015 Atletico de Madrid or 2013-2014 when they won the league. And then Jan Oblak, this season, he's not being miraculous. Against mm. Cadiz, for example, he did a small mistake in the goal of uh, Chocolozano. I think that the mistake is not that big, to be honest, because uh, it's not easy to to stop or to to punch away a ball that comes from the sky. But at the same time, the old Jan Oblak will have stopped that. Mm. So things taking out a slightly more regular shape at the top of La Liga with two of the big three in the top two positions. The other one, Barcelona, had their second Liga game under Xavi and their second win. Was this one any more convincing? 3-1 away at Villarreal? Not really, not really. Well, the, you have seen the, the games under Xavi. Mm, against the Espanyol, Barcelona could have drawn that game. Against Benfica, if uh, Seferovic uh, hadn't been born... Um, huh. And any other striker would have played there. Uh, Barcelona would have lost it, even, even though they were good against Benfica in some phases of the game. And against Villarreal, again, I think Barcelona started well. They scored first after a very entertaining first half in which uh, Dan Yuma um, had a couple of glorious chances. Same thing for Memphis Depay, who is not quite challenging his own XG this season, despite... Uh, him scoring many goals. There was again good controversy with the hand of Gerard Piquet inside the box, uh, blocking a shot of Dan Yuma that wasn't reviewed by VAR. Um, challenge uh, from Parejo on Busquets that could have been a red card. So the game had a little bit of everything, controversy, good chances. Barcelona scored first, uh, thanks to Frankie de Jong, and then when Chukwese scored the goal for Villarreal in the 81st minute, I believe, it looked like Villarreal could win that game. But then, you know, Barcelona had a nice counter-attack with a long ball. Memphis scored the second goal after a very clever finish under the legs of a defender. And then Coutinho scored a penalty. So I think that Xavi's Barcelona is work in progress. Still, this mm. week, they don't have to play any football game because Barcelona uh, is exempt from playing this round of the Spanish Cup because they are, they are uh, playing the Spanish Super Cup. So, uh, not now, but in January. And uh, this week, I think that Xavi will have some time to adjust some mistakes, but I do believe that there are some signs that are very clear. He wants to use um, wingers. He did that with Abde, a very young, uh, promising player from La Masia, who showed dribbling skills, uh, he was refreshing, he was audacious. And then uh, some other players... Umtiti, Lenglet, Philippe Coutinho, they are not having a lot of minutes, which tells you that maybe Xavi uh, trusts more in the, in the academy than in some veteran settled players that at the minute they are not enjoying their best, uh, their best moment. Alvaro, you mentioned the Seferovic miss, which could have seen Benfica win that game. Rafa, you were, you were watching that for us on the goal show. Astonishing. Miss of the season, would you say? Um, I don't know, miss of the season, but there was two against yeah. one and there was so much time for Seferovic to do whatever he wanted. He tried to get around the keeper. Ter Stegen got a hand to it and he was a little bit disrupted in his move towards the goal and then had to rush the shot and steered it wide. But yeah, it yeah. was painful. Well, it's one of watch. the saddest misses I've ever seen, personally. Yeah, had that gone in, it would have been very dramatic for Barcelona. As it stands in their Champions League group, they're still two points clear of the Portuguese side. However, Benfica will be taking on Dinamo Kiev on the final match day, whereas Barcelona have to go to Bayern Munich. One of those fixtures looks easier than the other. 
And if Benfica do beat Dinamo Kiev, Barcelona will need to win away at Bayern. What do you think, Rafa? Bayern already qualified, top spot. I don't think it's impossible that Barca win. Yes, they conceded that chance, but they looked really good throughout the game. And they might lack a little bit of quality up front, but I thought there was a recognisable system. They had fluidity, they had shape. And Bayern will have little to play for in front of not many fans. Um, the other day against Arminia Bielefeld, they had only, had only 12,000 fans in the stadium. Uh, COVID regulations allowed 18,000 in, but just many people didn't bother because it was so cold and a very unattractive opponent. So the atmosphere, I think, might help Barcelona as well. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out them winning that game. I think it's James very quickly that Barcelona. I think that any time they play against Bayern, they they will fear them very much because lately Bayern has uh, destroyed them, and mm-hmm. the last eight two was preceded by another easy win by Bayern. I don't remember exactly which year, but Bayern lately is inflicting heavy defeats for Barcelona. And uh, let's see, maybe Ansu Fati is, f- is back for this game, but the main problem for Barcelona is that the mo- at the moment they don't have good scorers, recognizable scorers, and this is costing them a lot because, yes, as Rafael says, they are producing good football, but then there is no end product in it. Okay, well, we'll talk more about that game next week ahead of the final uh, group uh, stage. Uh, round of matches. Uh, we'll talk about Bayern very shortly, but Benfica, meanwhile, uh, this weekend had featured in a game that you, you may well have heard about when they travelled to face Belenenses. Uh, Belenenses, whose squad had been ravaged by COVID. Uh, as many as 17 players testing testing positive for the virus meant they could only field a team of nine for this match against Benfica, two of whom were goalkeepers, the reserve keeper actually playing in midfield. Benfica, a goal up inside a minute, Everybody looks super embarrassed. They were 7-0 up at halftime. Even Seferovic scored, which if you... Yeah. Saw to be honest, against, James, it is embarrassing to concede a goal when you've got two goalkeepers on the pitch. Wow, that's also <laughs> true. <laughs> anyway, so they came back out for the second half with just seven players and then decided they'd had enough. The reserve keeper, Jean Montero, uh, basically hoofing the ball out and then collapsing dramatically on the floor. Not unlike Davison, actually. Um, and saying no more, no more to the referee. Poor chap. Ricoche, who's now president of Benfica, called this 7-0 a dark chapter for Portuguese football and for the country itself. A lot of people were, have been saying, and Bernardo Silva amongst them, why on earth was this game played, given the conditions, given this this, this COVID outbreak at, at Belenenses? But Belenenses' own club president, Rui Pedro Suarez, has now confirmed that they hadn't actually asked Benfica to postpone the fixture. So nobody had actually asked the league or Benfica to postpone the fixture. Ergo, it went ahead, which is just extraordinary. Anyway, should we get on to the Bundesliga? See. Si. Uh, it's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line, and today we're talking to Chelsea fan Dave. Hi, Dave. Yeah, uh, Lukaku looks to be back, but I'm concerned about his ankle injury. Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Of course it matters. What if the leg goes? Well, if one goes, that doesn't matter, does it? Hey? Yes, that's right, Mr Chelsea fan. If one leg of your bet builder lets you down, you can get your money back as a free bet. Party power. Pretty much online bet builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Next weekend, Rafa... 
top two in Germany face to face. It's Dortmund against Bayern. There's only one point between them at the top of Germany's top division. And just in time, look who's back. Erling Haaland. Brand, linke Strafraumkante. Brand, Flanke. Und Haaland! Erling Haaland! Haaland! Strecke! Ja! Drückt den Ball zum 1-3 ja! über ja! die Linie. Das Comeback von Erling Haaland. Look who's back. Erling's back. Yeah, he's good. Um, you knew that. But what we didn't know was that he would look so sharp after that lengthy break. He had some problem with his hip. Mm. But he actually adjusted his body and, and stretched and connected really well to uh, to across to steer the ball home for Dortmund's third. And I think that they feel a lot happier now, not just because of the win, but because they are a different side with Hurling up uh, with Hurling. No, his name is not Hurling. With Erling Haaland <laughs> up there, it's it's a different proposition. And I still think Bayern are far superior. But the Spine team have a little have been a little bit stuttering in recent games by their own standards. Only a one 0 win against Arminia Bielefeld. So I think Dortmund will go into this with a bit of optimism. They're on a good run of, of, of results. Even without Domestically, yes. Domestically, yeah. But this this is the thing. In the meantime, last week saw them crash out of the Champions League. They still have one group stage game uh, commitment to, to, to honour. But they won't be in the last 16. What's the fallout from that been like? Well, it's been hugely embarrassing for them because the man of the performance was was once again bringing up all these questions about Dortmund uh, having a, a squad that doesn't seem to be quite ready for those challenges. Uh, there's a lot of young players, but there's a lot of not-so-young players who are just not pulling their weight, who don't look like as if they belong on this stage even. Defensively, they were poor once more. But the reaction, I think, has changed. Luckily for them, they they sh they were able to play straight away again, almost straight away, and they were looked a lot more engaged and active. And they had one or two players coming back, of course, Haaland being the main one. So everyone's hoping that the Wolfsburg Dortmund is the real Dortmund rather than the Sporting Dortmund. Unfortunately, in the Champions League, there is no time to make amends. Mm. But because the Bundesliga form, as you said, James, has been has been good and the results are okay. The pressure on Rosa is still at a reasonable level. But of course, this can all change. I have a defeat against Bayern. And I don't want to say the season is over, but it's looking bad, certainly in the two main competitions, being already out the Champions League and then having a setback in the Bundesliga, which they haven't won, of course, in 10 years, nine years. So it's a big, big game, this one. Yeah, what if they were to win, though, Rafa? They'd go two points clear of Bayern. I mean, if they win, it changes everything. It changes the dynamic. It, it gives them belief. I mean, nobody, I think, doubts that Dortmund can win most games in the Bundesliga because they should be. They have the third, second or third best squad. They certainly have the second best team for all their flaws behind Bayern. So they should be in contention. The face-to-face -face games against Bayern have been pretty embarrassing in recent years. So they need to show that they can live with Bayern, not just everyone else. And I think that that's absolutely key on Saturday. Mm. But Holland coming back, that must be a real concern for Bayern. Yeah, it is a, it is a concern. Um, I mean, Bayern defensively have looked, have looked all right. Going forward is when they've been slightly underwhelming. 
but you'd still think that Bayern, especially with injury or COVID situation clearing up for them, they are much better than Dortmund, much, much better. So something extraordinary would have to happen for Dortmund to win. Clip that one up, producer Charlie. For the sake of the Bundesliga, I think it'd be great if Dortmund were to do it. It's actually quite amazing that there's only one point, considering how yeah. up and down Dortmund have been really, especially without Haaland for so long, that there's still only one point, which shows that Bayern have been also a bit, at times, maybe not as dominant as they've been, you know, last, I don't know, two or three seasons, maybe with, with Flick two seasons ago, for example, they would be already like seven or eight points clear. Yeah. Yeah, they had they had a couple of defeats. They had one draw that they really could have avoided. But even having said that, I think Bayern have another level to go to. Whereas with Dortmund, I hope that they can actually just fulfill their potential. That would be a start because they've always been able to somehow underperform when it comes to that consistency. Let, right. Let's see. They have a yeah. chance. Saturday evening. It's going to be huge. Bayern, in the meantime, Jules, have become the first team in Bundesliga history to name five Frenchmen in a starting 11. Yeah, that's amazing. That's the secret of success for exactly. Bayern. Exactly. Go there French. Go. Pavard, Upamecano, Hernandez, Tolisso and Coman. In the game against, drumroll please, Armenia Bielefeld. You said it nice now in, yeah. in December. Yeah. Very well done, James. Had Kwasi started, let's say in a back three, we would have yes. had six even. So, yeah. All right, let's not get greedy. Oh, shout out to nominative non-determinism's Greater Furt, who have taken just one point from 13 Bundesliga matches so far. But they were involved in a nine-goal thriller on Saturday, Rafa. Yeah, I don't know how much of a thriller it was because nine they goals. were... Yeah, they were definitely the, uh, the worst team. But yeah, it was 6-3 against Hoffenheim. Mm. It was a goal a minute almost. Mm. Um, hugely entertaining game. But it kind of left you feeling, well, they score three goals and they're still nowhere near winning a game. I mean, right. okay. that, that doesn't bode well for the next, uh, what is it, uh, 21 games to come. Right. Well, the, the first team ever to lose 11 Bundesliga matches in a row. Get more French players in. That's the, that's the secret. Very good. Next up, let's talk about the workout playoffs. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Woof! Great drama last Friday. Folks at FIFA headquarters putting their hands in the bag again for Qatar. Um, you know, for the draw, obviously... Uh, Portugal and Italy coming out on the same path. You'll recall that there are six one-legged semi-finals and then three one-legged finals for the winners of those earlier games. And Portugal and Italy, if they can get through their matches against Turkey and North Macedonia, respectively, they'll face each other. Only one will be able to go through to the big 
big competition in Qatar. Similar story for Scotland and Wales. Scotland hosts Ukraine. If they get through that, they'll face the winner of Wales and Austria. Only one can go through. And it's Russia, Poland and Sweden, Czech Republic. Only one of those sides can go through. Wow. It's so it's so exciting. Michael Cox calling these games, he says, even better than the World Cup. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, the way Italy have performed the recent World Cups, maybe it's not great lost if they were to miss they out. They weren't at the last one. Well, exactly. Mm. And the ones before. Will they be at this one, James Horncastle? Ah, come, come on. Raf, I mean, if, this, if the same logic was applied to, to, to Germany at the beginning of this century, um, you know, I mean... Enough. It's just because you have a really poor record against Italians, apart from Europe. What do you mean beginning of the century? When when Germany made the final in 2002, you mean? What was wrong with yeah, that? Yeah, but they, what about Euro 2000? I mean, yeah, on the I'm basis of World, their performance. Just World Cups. Just World ah, Cups I'm talking it's about. It's topical yeah. anyway. Is it, Don't are change gonna the subject, James. Are Italy going to make it, do you think, James Horncastle? Let's have a bold prediction. I think Italy will reach the final, but whether they'll right. be playing Portugal or Turkey, I'm not sure. That's not what I asked you, though, James Horncastle. Not that they're going to be playing in the final. Are they going to? Are they going to be at the World Cup? What do you feel? I don't feel good about it because you don't want to go into a one-off game against Cristiano. Um, you know whether he presses or not. Um, you know ultimately a if moment is enough. Yeah. For Cristiano, um, I mean Italy should have Spinazzola back. Um, mm. Yeah, he's been missing throughout qualifying. Obviously, missing since the quarterfinals of the Euros. He seemed to be someone who elevated uh, Italy, uh, particularly in the, in the first five games of, of the Euros. Um, so, yeah, that would be a bonus. And maybe they'll find a, a striker who can actually score some goals regularly in the next uh, three or four months. Because, mm. uh, you know, that's, uh, that's been an issue, at least in, in qualifying for the, for the World Cup. It wasn't, wasn't so much at the Euros. But um, so... You know, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, going back to 2017, there's still the ghosts of, of that World Cup playoff, which Italy thought they'd laid to rest um, by by winning the Euros. Um, so to to be right back at square one is, I think, psychologically pesante. Yeah, mm. it's very it weighs it weighs on this on, on this group of players. So, whereas Portugal have a lot of they have a big record they have a record of just coming through playoffs. They're always going through playoffs. You know, they you know, think of the the Zlatan Ronaldo playoff a few few years ago. You know, they, they mm. just do this. So, eh, not not particularly confident. Yeah, I think that qualifying for the World Cup is quite difficult because only thirteen teams go there. Uh, mm. I think in World Cup 94, the 50% of the teams came from UEFA. And now in 2022, it will be 13 out of 32 teams from UEFA. And we saw in Euro 2020 last uh, summer that the level in Europe right now is quite high, really. I mean, look at the teams that made it to the semifinals and to the quarterfinals. Denmark, Switzerland, they are good. So qualifying for the World Cup in Europe right now is quite difficult. And uh, I saw the Copa America last summer as well. And uh, the level is, is not the same right now. I mean, I think, that, I think that European football is going through a very good moment. But maybe this is the last World Cup in which uh, Big Fish is missing. Because in the next World Cup, we'll have 16 places for European teams. Mm. So the likes of Italy and Portugal may not have to play a playoff to, to be in it. 
Okay. Although I quite like the drama of it. Yeah, I'd probably right. misunderstood, Alvaro, but your argument for the quality of European football seemed to be that lots of European teams got to the later stages of the UEFA competition. No, what but, I meant is, sorry, I didn't explain that well. What I meant is that some teams that you wouldn't regard them ah, as the top right. notch of European football, like Switzerland, right. they beat France and they almost beat Spain. Right, uh, the strength in depth. Yeah, mm. there is a lot of strength in European football right now, and we saw it last summer. Not in Copa America right now, because I believe that South American football was probably the best in the 90s uh, in terms of uh, national teams, but not now. I think mm. that the European football is, is brilliant, and in World Cup 1994, Europe was putting the 50% of the teams in the World Cup. Now they are putting only a 35 36% of the teams in that World Cup because, you know, the rest of the confederations, they've got more places. And I think that the, that is a, the growth of the teams or the number of teams in the World Cup has been a little bit disproportionate for Europe, I believe. So that's why teams like the Netherlands missed it in 2002, in 2018. That's why Italy missed it in 2018 as well, because there are maybe not enough places for Europe. I'm not asking for that, but I'm saying that European football is improving a lot. And, uh, you know, Italy and uh, Portugal, one of them won't be there. Right. Alvaro wants the World Cup to become the European Championship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Said it here first. Excellent. All right, that's your World Cup playoff chat. We're moving on because next up we're talking Paris Saint-Germain. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Sunday as the snow fell on the Jeffrey Guichard Stadium. Ligue 1 leaders earned themselves another fat win against bottom of the table Saint-Étienne. Crikey. So many talking points from this game, Jules. You probably don't need me to list them to you, but I will. Lionel Messi setting up all three goals. Neymar, with that injury you mentioned, but also, yes, Sergio Ramos's debut for Paris Saint-Germain almost five months after signing up with the Parisians. Finally, finally. Even for him, it must have felt long, you know, like not training or staying with the physio and in the gym and then training a bit, what, a lot on his own, then a bit with the rest of the squad that was there during the international break and then finally uh, making his debut, playing the whole game, by the way, which I was a bit surprised. I thought it was typically the kind of of game and player where you take him off after 60 minutes, especially when Saint-Etienne went down to 10 men. But no, he stayed the whole game. He was very happy, felt well. Uh, Pochettino was happy to leave him. You, you saw the leadership, uh, old school, Sergio Ramos, when he body-checked uh, Wabi Kazri at some point, when Kazri was looking at the ball and Sergio was looking at Kazri. Uh, and then Kazri going like, was insulting. You could read on his lips, he was insulting him as much as he could. It's like, what are you doing? And Sergio Ramos was like, this is what I do, bro. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It, it's good because I think he lifted a bit the dressing room. Hmm. Uh, suddenly him and Messi are best friends. He said, I would, I would have voted really? for Messi for the Ballon d'Or. Messi said like, yeah, now we're the same team. You know, we, we're cool. Um, but yeah, I think I think psychologically he will help, and he's he's got that charisma, that big presence. So I think this is this can only be a positive. I don't know if he can play again in midweek, for example, or he will have to to wait a bit and can only be available for the weekend game, for example. But certainly, I think I, I felt the place lifted for sure. All right? Why do you sign a player like Ramos if you're just going to leave him on the bench, Jules? No, no, that says <laughs> uh, he completed more passes than any other player in the game. I find that remarkable, but maybe I haven't been paying attention. 
No, but also we're not going to go too much into details because yeah. there was only Saint-Étienne and they were down to 10, you know, okay. half of the game. Right. But certainly the way he carried the ball, especially against the press, I think is something that they don't really have. Even Marquinhos can't really do it that way. Mm. So I think that, that that's quite interesting for Pochettino going forward when you're going to play bigger teams. Uh, and... Of course, it helps you if you want at some point to try the back three because then you can play Marquinhos, Kimpembe and Ramos. And I think that's something that, as I've said many times, Pochettino should look into, really, now that Ramos is fully fit. Jules, post the Man City defeat, was there a little bit of a backlash, an anti-Messi backlash among Paris Saint-Germain fans? And if so, has it been resolved by him setting up all three goals at the weekend Mm. and apparently... Now being lined up to take another Ballon d'Or. Yeah, not, not so much a messy backlash. There was a Pochettino backlash, for sure. Mm. There was a lot of critics back home on in the newspaper, on TV, on radio, around his tactics, the lack of identity again. What, what we've been sp- talking about since the start of the season, pretty much. But not so much for Messi. Uh, and it's, it's a hat-trick of assists, which I think he's, he's only done twice before in his career. So it's not like mm. it's something that he does every day. And the first one, you can always debate. The first one is a, is a good free kick and then Marquinhos' header is, is pretty nice. The second one is the best one of the three for Di Maria because of the vision and, and the quick feet. The third one is another cross towards Marquinhos. Again, it's a good assist, but it's not the, the purest, most genius assist either. But he scored the weekend before. The hat-trick of assist is good for him. And then, of course, there's the Ballon d'Or coming up on Monday night. So mm. the day we record this. Uh, which I believe maybe Lewandowski would get a little something, which personally I find humiliating. But hey, a little something like what? I don't know. Maybe some because he was not given last year. Right. I was told there was there was like um, there's a few surprises that are going to come up. Rafa, oh. I think, but Bayern Munich have a, have a huge uh, delegation going as well, which I think France Football and L'Equipe were very happy with. So I don't know. There might be something for Lewandowski to say. Hey. Sorry, we screwed you. But hey, here you go. Have a mini one. It's not as good as the main one, but you know, it's still something to put on your mental piece. What? You should be editor of France football, Jules. You've got so many ideas. <laughs> Maybe one day, huh? I love the Ballon d'Or. Isn't, has Messi been the best footballer in the world since moving to Paris? I don't think so. But then Question it's the whole mark. year. It's the whole but of the year. He won it for the Copa so America, not no? just the last four months. I don't know. I mean, the yes. Ballon it's Jorginho's to lose. <laughs> he's been very good in 2021 overall yeah? and it's good that the Copa America counts as well because sometimes he gets forgotten too exactly exactly alright well anyway that's going to be Monday night and it will have happened by the time this comes out because we're in the past uh, then you've got a full midweek fixture list in Ligue 1 which includes a mighty first v third battle as Paris Saint-Germain entertained Nice who warmed up for this by losing to Mets how many points are Paris Saint-Germain clear at the moment, Jules? 12 of second place. Rennes, who are the big surprise, the team the mm. most informed in Europe. 10 wins yeah. and 3 draws in all competitions in the last 13 games. Some big some big wins wow. as well. And they go to Spurs um, next week in the Europa Conference League where Rennes are already qualified, which is not right. the case of small club Tottenham who no. still have to fight to <laughs> go through. Maybe, maybe not. You know, and right. Possibly young. facing a playoff, Manager. no? Yeah, potentially. Mm. So, yeah, Ren, Ren, really good form. It's good to see, and it's credit to their scouting and the way they sign players like Suleimana, like Doku. Uh, and also, of course, you know, as we mentioned before, Pep Genesio, who is doing a, 
the wonderful job <laughs> there on the bench. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Now, anything else you want to tell us about Liga Jules before we conclude with an old lady in a dark tunnel? I just have a, a quick quiz question for you. Love uh, it. If you can name the teams, uh, there's, there's, there's not many teams who have scored in every single league game this season in the big five leagues. Inter? Inter is one. Uh, Man City? Oh, no, they haven't, have they? No. Are they? No. Napoli? No. Liverpool? Liverpool, yeah. How many teams are there? Five? Uh, four. Four. <laughs> we got two more to find. This is going to take a while, listener. FC Bayern? Oh, sorry, yeah, so three with Bayern, yeah, Bayern. Okay, right. One more for Italy and one from France. Is it Milan? Oh, no, Atlanta, yeah, no. No. Yeah, I think it's Milan, maybe Milan. Yeah, Milan. So then the one from France, that's the big one. Clermont Foot? No, but similar, more sort of West. That's the only other French team I know, Jules, just tell us. Uh, Sorry, Brest. Ah. Funnily enough, who won four in a row, which is the best ever run in the top flight, mm. are the only team in France to score in every single league game this season. Well done to them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Let's conclude then with Juventus. A rough, rough week. Crikey. If you haven't been keeping track, they had their worst ever Champions League defeat. 4-0 away at Sanford Bridge at the hands of Chelsea. Then on Friday, five directors and one former director, Fabio Paratici, now at Spurs, got named in an investigation over hundreds of millions of euros of false accounting. Alleged false. Alleged. Well, yeah, they've been named in an investigation of that. Alleged making up player values. And uh, then they faced Atalanta at the weekend, lost 1-0. It's their fifth defeat of the season. Keza is out injured till after Christmas. The Gazette of the Sport says there is no light at the end of this tunnel. James, is it true? It is pretty bleak um, for Juventus. I think uh, Allegri, after the game against Atalanta at the weekend, was saying, look, I think people have overestimated how good this squad is. Uh, it can finish fourth. But, you know, the expectation was at the beginning of the season that Juventus would challenge for the title. Um, and once again, um, yeah, there is a, a storm, you know, engulfing the club, which I think will spread mm. um, throughout Italian football. Um, and beyond. Because, and beyond. Ozzyman, for example, the, the, his, his arrival yeah, from Liga is one of the... With Marseille as well, Mariaki. Mm. Mm. So, as you mentioned, uh, this investigation um, uh, kind of escalated on on, on Friday, an investigation called PRISMA um, by the Public Prosecutor's Office in Turin. Uh, Kind of, uh, this has been bubbling around in the background for some time. I think we mentioned a month ago that um, Kovisok, the the watchdog um, of the professional game in Italy, had uh, compiled a report uh, into transfer activity over the last two years 
uh, flagging up 62 uh, transfers, um, which they passed on to the public prosecutor of the disciplinary commission of the Italian Football Federation and said, look, you want, might want to look into these. 42 of those um, transactions uh, involved uh, Juventus. Um, but uh, the public prosecutor's office in, in Turin, I think, is, um, has certainly intensified the scrutiny with the Guardia di Finanza, which is the, the police force that investigates uh, financial matters um, in Italy, um, actually paying a visit um, to Juventus's training grounds in Continassa, Vinovo, a couple of legal offices that they have in, in, in Turin and Milan um, to, to gather evidence um, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, into this case. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, various uh, executives of Juventus have been interviewed uh, over the course of the last few days. There have been some precedents uh, in cases like this. Uh, for example, the public prosecutor's office in Milan opened an investigation into uh, transfer activity at Inter and uh, Milan um, in, in 2008. Um, yeah, that case was ultimately dismissed because it's very difficult to determine uh, how much a player is, is valued. Um, right. And uh, yeah, similarly with Chievo, more recently, I think they were handed a, a points deduction. Mm, three point uh, in, penalties, in this, I think. Um, With this case, I mean, intriguingly, there are actual wiretaps as well. There are phone recordings, which are certainly the transcripts have, have um, unnamed Juventus staff talking about they want the plus Valencia and all the dirt underneath. And uh, also referring to secret Ronaldo, Ronaldo papers, the ones that shouldn't exist, which does sound very intriguing. Uh, but but anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. I mean, seeing the order, the, the order for, of search, I mean, it's quite interesting that they... They have those quotes which are unattributed in them, uh, mm. so you don't get to see the full transcript. And uh, and maybe maybe they will come out at a later date. Uh, but certainly they've uh, been leapt upon in the uh, the Italian papers over the last last few days. But that's that's what's going on off field and on field. As mentioned, not much better. Five defeats already. They only had six in all of last season, which was meant to be a an absolute nadir. Uh, under the tutelage of Andrea Pirlo. They're actually six points worse off than they were under Pirlo at uh, this time last year. Atalanta at the weekend, who are a side that anyone can lose to, of course, but getting their first victory in Turin for 32 years. With the reaction, with the, the general kind of gathering storm around the club, are there some signs that the kind of Agnelli Nedved regime might be reaching its kind of end game? Well, if you go back to the Super League, in April, there's a lot of speculation when that started to collapse about Agnelli's future, but he didn't resign um, and has continued at the club. Um, the club has since been kind of uh, recapitalized or has put out a prospectus for recapitalization. Um, but, you know, obviously uh, this investigation brings further scrutiny. I think on the pitch, Allegri said this the other day, yeah, it'd be, it'd be crazy to expect Juventus to keep winning for 20 years in a row. You know, no one had won the league nine years in a row before. Mm. No one had gone beyond five. So it's natural for, for, for a team to, to not be as competitive as they were for a couple of years or so, which is, is what's happening. I think um, Pirlo's not a genius by any means, but um, I think certainly the reception of his season last year and the impression of him as a manager was 
was quite unfair, I think. Um, I think he did a better job than a lot of people gave him credit for at the time. Certainly had some of the same limitations that Allegri has now. Um, and okay, he had Cristiano, but yeah, I think people close to Andrea would say that Ronaldo's best season at Juventus was under was under Pirlo in in terms of goals scored, um, far and away. Uh, won two trophies, Coppa Italia, which you know eluded uh, eluded Sarri, Super Cup, won some big games, and played a style of football which is very much kind of in line with modern trends in European football, which is something that is is the criticism levied against Allegri right now, which is this low block, counter-attacking, we don't want the ball style. Is that relevant um, still in 2021? Will it get you results, not only in the league, but certainly in the Champions League? He would say, well, look, we've already qualified for the round of 16, so um, there you go. But certainly the, the, the style of football and the numbers, the underlying performance numbers, uh, Juventus, are very, very worrying. They, yeah, they do look like a mid-table team when it mm. comes to chances created, um, XG and, uh, and other metrics like that. And yeah, under Pirlo, they were significantly, significantly higher. So yeah, lots of questions for everyone at, uh, at Juventus to answer right now. Mm. All right. Well, coming up this week, they're going to be away to the bottom team in the table, Salernitana. So it'd be nice if they could win that maybe. Uh, that's midweek. And then at the weekend, they host Andrei Shevchenko's Genoa, who themselves are in the relegation zone. So two winnable fixtures, you would think, for Allegri. If you're curious to see how Juve get on in that clash with Sheva's Genoa, uh, then uh, the, the great news is that that match will be our featured game on Golazzo Live next Sunday night. And if that isn't good news, I don't know what is. Here's some bad news, though, listener. That's it for today's Totally Football Show European Edition. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll have another one next week in which we'll preview some of those aforementioned Champions League match day six fixtures. Make or break. Have yourself a great time till then. I'm sure you'll join me as I thank Julian Laurent, Alvaro Romeo, James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein and yes, producer Charlie. And uh, join us next time and we'll do it all over again for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.